Thank you, Leslie and Paul. And uh, good morning to the rest of you as well. Good morning. Hope you all had a great week. Well, that was robust. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> well, we're going to work on that for this week. We're going to fire you up. We're going to fire you up. Let's take our Bibles this morning. I just about messed up again. Morning. Uh, Mark. Let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 12. It's an old habit I'm trying to break. Mark chapter 12. Let's begin reading at verse 13. Mark chapter 12 and verse 13. <clears throat> Those of you that have been uh, traveling with us in the, the journey in Jesus, what started as basically the, His power, I guess, is what we were really looking at. His power that we've seen exhibited over demons and disease, environment, death, nature. He's created food. Literally, his deity has, uh, it, it's just shown itself to be miraculously powerful. And yet, here we find again today a group of people that hate him. They could either repent or reject. And we will find in verse 13, uh, we'll be tying this all together. But let's read our passage now. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt you me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, thank you for your presence here. Thank you that you are a God that is fully, completely in control. Thank you, Father, that you are in control of all matters. You were eternal before there was. You were. Amazing to know that an infinite God, capable and sovereign in, any way, in every way, made the choice to offer his Son to us who have sinned, who have fallen short of the glory of God. Our wages were sin. I'm sorry, our wages were death because of sin. How can we thank you enough for the gift of this one? Literally, we've just read again, marvelously took truth to a new level. Less than 48 hours from his death on a cross of which he would finally, completely obliterate the power of sin. Father, it's to you we bow. It's to you we pray. It's to you we give you our love. And now, Father, take your word. Minister it to us. Exclusively through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for what you will do. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's review for a moment. Um, Laramie, if you'd throw the map up on the wall one more time. 
It'll probably be next week too, probably. We do it every week because we want, we want us to, we want to just keep track of our context. Uh, Jesus has been, he's been out ministering for three years. Um, we know that from John chapter 2 that he basically had been here in the temple before. He had cleansed it once before at the beginning of the ministry, and now for three years the Jews, the Jewish leaders, have been dogging him. They have been looking to take his life. They cannot stand anything that he stands for because they are in the way. Their will, their wages, everything that they become, part that their lives have become, he is going to the heart of the matter. Well, here we are now, and he's been traveling uh, from Perea. I uh, came from Perea, I'm sorry. Um, I don't even know how this thing works. There we go. Um, as he was traveling on the east side of the Jordan River, they, he came through Perea. Uh, lots of, there's just, my, my head is just filled with things as these uh, issues and adventures have, we've talked about, I'll keep it, he's got to keep moving. Jericho, he healed, that was his last major miracle, um, if you will, uh, blind Bartimaeus. Uh, he's, he's now come into Jerusalem. He, he came to Bethany on a Saturday night, came to visit great friends of his, Lazarus, no less, he had raised from the dead two weeks before. Again, to think this man had power over death. And they still don't believe him. They hate him. And now he's been, he's been in Jerusalem. Saturday turned into a Sunday. The people came out hearing that this one that raised up Lazarus from the dead was actually close by. And then hordes came out to Bethany to see who this one was. They were blown away. To see Lazarus alive and Jesus, the one that raised him. I mean, that must have been quite a day. And then on Monday, he sets up what would be called the triumphal entry. On a Monday... He said, go into town, which would have been just across from in the Bethany area. What was the name of it? Bethphage. There we go. Bethany and Bethphage. Kind of a little bergs across the street from one another. They go in and get this uh, foal of an ass, and they find her tied, tied, tied up. And again, I, I just I marvel at that, right? I just go in and steal a horse, right? <laughs> but somebody will come, and you just tell them it's for me. I don't know why that just... And how would you like to have those two disciples? Oh, yeah, yeah, we want to do that. But it worked out just exactly right there. I'm telling you, you know, this is not right, John. I, I, don't, know if it, I don't know who it was. It doesn't tell us who the two disciples were, but you can, you can just get the picture. This isn't right, is it? And here they come. What are you doing? The master had used. Oh, well, just take it. Be on your way. And hundreds of thousands of people literally on that day lay down their coats, lay down palm branch le uh, leaves, <laughs> palm branches. There we go. I'm getting there. And make him and say, Hosanna. To the son of David, which is a messianic title. I mean, they are on fire. This is their king. This is the one they've been waiting for. They're ready to take Rome and obliterate them. And here he is. That's on Monday. Well, if you're the newly crowned king, what are you going to do on a Tuesday? Expectation-wise from the people, go get them. Go to Rome. And in fact, now this is really, it'll tie in nicely today where we're at. But this being Passover week, Hundreds of thousands and even up to upwards of 2 million people would be in this metro area for a Passover. Huge event. This is the one that mirrors what God had asked the Israelites to do in Egypt. Literally, I am in charge. The Egyptians look like they are. They've been your slave masters. I've went through 10 plagues. This will be the 10th. And it's very important you do what I tell you to do, and that is to put the blood of lamb on your doorpost, and the angel of death will pass <laughs> over you. That was the beginning of this observation. 
of which now Jesus, who's in town, which is less than 48 hours away, will be on that cross as our Passover. Today, you can be here with confidence that Jesus Christ died for you and your sins. He is our Passover. Isn't that fantastic? And these people are missing him. They are missing him. But he doesn't take after the Romans, which would be the messianic duty, right? Because it's all over in the New... I mean, he's going to have a kingdom, and he's going to take and wipe out everything, and Israel's going to be number one on the map. No, the first thing he does the next morning is he goes into the temple, and he wipes it out. 35 acres worth. We did the math on that, right? Because I still, I, I, it's not on the board, but it's crazy, isn't it? 35 acres of temple. And he gets rid of all of the bazaar. It actually was known as the Bazaar of Annas, the high priest. This, this, was, this was a place of merchandising, doing business, selling stuff. In fact, I, I, this, I say it again. I'm saying things that are repetitive, but at the same time, it blows my mind as to the sense of the commercialization that has taken place with God's house that was known, supposed to be known for a house of prayer. The lower gate really would have been a shortcut to go through the city, and it became a line, an avenue of commerce through the temple. Jesus said, no more. No more. That was Tuesday. Wednesday is the day we find ourselves here again today. He's come back into town. He was staying back out at Bethany. Would be the place to be. Probably wasn't any place to stay in Jerusalem, major Jerusalem. He comes back into town, and he, that day, Wednesday, was what I would have to call a beginning of a change of attitude. Monday, he's king. Tuesday, he wipes out the religious leaders' popularity. In fact, he even exposes them. We'll look at this in a moment the people started to see that Jesus was exposing them for who they were. He told several parables. There was three of them in Matthew. We looked at one of them, the one of the vineyard. The people. In fact, let's do, I'm just banging in my head. So let's go to Mark chapter, um, let's see. Where did we find that? Da, da, now it's not banging in my head. How's that? Um, where is that at? Oh, there it is. is. Verse 12, of course, just right before us. Mark 12, 12. How simple is that? He had just told them this parable. And in verse 12, the end of that, and they sought to lay hold on him. Who's they? That would be the religious leaders. These ones that this had been about. But feared the people. And it's got a, it's got a colon there. For they, that would be the people, knew that he had spoken the parable against them, the religious leaders. For the first time, maybe not the first time because Jesus has been on a mission for three years, but again, their eyes were open. It was like peeling a thing back and saying, wait a minute, Jesus is exposing these religious leaders for who they are. They're the ones that have killed our prophets. They're the ones that have led us astray. They're the one there is no fruit. This place that was supposed to be Jesus' house of prayer, which he just cleansed yesterday, it's them, okay? They feared the people, the religious leaders. They were scared to death. In fact, otherwise, they would have just snatched Jesus immediately and thrown him off a cliff, but they were afraid of the people. Now, granted, you probably would be too if you were on the, on the religious leader's side because just the previous day, not Tuesday, but previous to that, would have been the day that hundreds of thousands of people would have claimed him as being the Messiah. That's a really big problem that they have. It actually ties into where we are in verse 13 now, which we've read. 
The Pharisees are religious leaders. Now, let's go back and make sure we understand it's not just the Pharisees. They're going to come at him with three waves on this day on Wednesday. We're looking at only the first one. We have a, a really weird group coming together. We have the Pharisees, which you know are the teachers of the law. And did you see, does it give it here or is it in our other parallel passage? Yeah, it is right here, verse 13. There's two, there's two teams that are, met, that are listed, which totally are against one another in normal day in life. One is the Pharisees, which would be the teachers of law. Then there's another one, which is known as the Herodians. Okay, now that sounds like they're together on this deal. It's amazing how Satan will use those that are against one another to form an alliance to combat truth it happens all the time. It happens today as well. But these two in a regular setting, let's say we had the Herodians. It was the group of Herodians. They had their name tags, and I'm John from the Herodians. And then you would have John from the Pharisees. The chances of them actually conversing in a very civil way would be very, very minuscule. They could be in this room, and there'd be a table for the Herodians, and there'd be a table for the Pharisees, and they'd be as far apart as they could possibly get because they thought very differently about life. Pharisees were very, very, they were, they were legalistic in the sense of all about religion, all about having it done the right way. They studied the law. They taught the law. They wanted, really, were, they were apolitical. There was nothing on the politics that really concerned. In fact, they hated the Romans. They hated everything about the Romans. Because there was more Romans, there was less Israel. Less Israel, big problem for the Pharisees. The Herodians, on the other hand, were very different. They were very political. In fact, what gave them the power to say they're Herodians is they were followed of the family of Herod. You know, that great family of great... I don't know, you know, we have Democrats and Republicans. They had Herodians. <laughs> Woo! That's what I want to be is Herodian. Now, by the way, we would be no worse off today if we had a party of Herodians. <laughs> They're all the same, full of corruption. Power corrupts and absolute power absolutely corrupts. The religious leader is filthy corrupt as they are today, just as our leadership today in a very popular and large government is just as corrupt. Jesus said very little about politics. Very little, because it's not about politics. It's not about religion. It's about people's hearts. It's about people's minds. We don't have a gun problem. We've got a people problem. It's no different. They probably had a club problem then, right? Spears, right? In fact, there's a... There's a there's a book written, I can't, I've failed to get his name, but very, very accomplished academically. He was, a, he was a physicist, a doctor, and something else. I mean, brilliant mind, brilliant mind. I can't, for whatever reason, failed. He had a book, and it was really, really it, it, kind of, it was catchy in the sense of, you know, today we have all this technology. And at the time when he wrote it, Saddam Hussein was in power in, uh, um, help me, Iraq. But he made, a, he made something that was very, you can't uninvent something that's already here. He said the cars, there's a great deal of benefits that it's brought, but you can't uninvent the car for the trouble that it's brought, right? He says the same. It's almost if you watch technology that's come along. Saddam Hussein today is a much more dangerous person. A thousand years ago, he would have been just his next-door neighbor because he would have a spear or a sword. Isn't that amazing? That's where we find ourselves. We're, we're at, our leverage points are much higher, but truth is still at the basis point of what's wrong with our society. That has not changed. These people are fighting truth and nail. They hate this one, this Jesus, this Messiah that speaks in truth. And then the flatter they use to actually try to bring him out of the woods to get the answer they want is amazing. But I want to come back to the Herodians for a moment. They loved government. They loved the family of Herod. They loved everything that the Pharisees hated. And yet, did you see that? They came together. 
because they have a common goal. They want to take this Jesus, this Messiah, and they want to get him gone. In fact, it's become much more, and, and the Herodians came on the scene, I think, for this reason. Two days previous, just 48 hours away from his crucifixion, 48 hours previous, he had been hailed king by hundreds of thousands of Jews. That is the one thing that Roman, Rome would not tolerate, insurrection. You could worship any god you wanted. In fact, you could worship hundreds of gods. They didn't care. As long as you held the Roman emperor to high esteem, you could have your own gods. That doesn't matter. There's thousands of gods in Roman. That, that's, that's not a big deal. Whatever the Jews do, who cares? But, but, if someone wants to take on the Roman government, welcome to being visited at your home <laughs> or anywhere. That really prompted this whole verses 13 through 17, is they have a brilliant plan. I'm saying they. Let's find who they are. That's what I was, find my glasses. And let's go back to verse 27 of chapter 11 of Mark. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. This is what sets us all, as you're turning there, keeping in mind, keep our context, Monday he's, he's king, Tuesday he cleans out the temple. Who's not happy about that? We'll find the, who, who they are. It says they. We've been dealing with them. That's who the parable was to. That's who has literally come back in verses 13 through 17. But let's see who they are. Verse 27, chapter 11 of Mark. They come again to Jerusalem. That would be Jesus and his disciples. And as he, Jesus, was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And they say unto him, by what authority did you do these things? That's like, who do you think you are? You little scoundrel, you, right? You can just see it was almost like a shaking the finger at Jesus. Who do you think you are? But it's interesting we know who they are now. Every, from this point on, it's they. It's they. Now, there's a part of this, and I, I can't, you'll just have to trust me. We're going to see the Pharisees and the Herodians today in our, our, our lesson or where we're at today. You'll find the Sadducees next week. And then you're going to find the scribes the following week. They're coming at them in waves. But they is ultimately literally the Sanhedrin. Seventy members with a high priest. So 71. Always could break a tie. These now have come together to literally make sure that Jesus is dealt with. You can't just come into our town in our temple and throw our stuff out. That is unacceptable. Especially if you've done it twice yeah, which he has in three years. That's why they hate him so badly. They've been chasing him ever since he started his ministry because he was in the same place at the same time doing the same thing. And here he is again. How dare he? So they is this group. Now, the first wave is the Pharisees and the Herodians. We've talked, I think, enough about that. Any questions about those guys? I mean, it, it wouldn't be like just Democrats and Republicans in the same room. Oh, no, 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 no. It's worse than that. These people hate each other. Oh, wait, as a matter of fact, that, oh, do you see where I'm going? But it's amazing, again, how Satan can rise up alliances between people or groups that hate one another against truth. Here's another example of that. So here we go. Now, what are they going to do? Well, they've got a problem, Jesus. He's taking control. He's, he's in charge right now. The Rodians, I think, have really raised to the level because I'm telling you what, they're having these little huddles. Did you, did you, did you see this guy, Jesus? I mean, there's thousands of people following him. This does not look good. 
Now, they saw it from two different angles. The Pharisees are more than happy to have the Herodians join their team because they want Jesus gone because he is in their face from their religion, so to speak. He wants to go to the heart of the matter, and they just want to keep it nice and surfacy. That's not a word, but you get the picture. The Herodians couldn't possibly have any sense of competition against the political rulership, the reigning of, in this case, the Herodians. You see, they were in country that was actually being ruled by Herod Antipas. Now, this is interesting. Who's in town? I actually left that avenue. I want to come back to it for a moment. With all of these hundreds of thousands of people, these pilgrims coming to, for, to Jerusalem for the uh, Passover, there's two guys that are in town that normally probably wouldn't be, but are because of the massive amount of people flowing. One of them would be the governor. His name is Pontius Pilate. The other one is Herod Antipas, who we found what, in back in our studies, he was the governor or the leader or authority within Perea. And remember that brilliant question? Jesus, what do you say about divorce? Keeping in mind that John the Baptist had been beheaded by this same individual because he had told Mr. Herod Antipas that it is unlawful for you to have divorced your wife and to bury your brother's wife. Chopperoni. Let's ask the same question of Jesus. And if Jesus says divorce is wrong, hello, Herod, right? Well, he's in town too. So this group, the Sanhedrin and etc., the Herodians, anybody who'd be interested in making sure to dispose of Jesus Christ are meeting. How are we going to get rid of this guy? And I mean, it's become really eminent now. And you know how Jesus bumped the surface? Because keep in mind now, this is God's timetable. There's parts of this, if you were a bystander watching and saying, God has lost it. <laughs> what is going on? He's out of control. It looks crazy. Has anybody said that in the United States in the last couple of months? <laughs> God's still on the throne. Hasn't lost, hasn't lost focus of anything. He's still totally, 100% sovereign and in control. Don't ever let yourself forget that. And here we are. Jesus has actually set the triumphal entry up because he went and got his own horse, so to speak. Creates the whole scene. And you know what it did to the enemies? Ramped them up because they were on a phase. Let's get Passover out of the way. Let's get this out of the way. And then we're going to take Jesus on. Uh-uh. No, no. Jesus raised that to a, I mean, an ultimate crescendo of volume of we have to deal with this guy now. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of people following him. So let's get all of the factions together. The Herodians are there for one purpose and one purpose only. They've got a question they're going to ask Jesus. What do you think that little huddle is? But this, by the way, this is brilliant. If you're, if you're a man or you're godless, this looks like we win. They've got Jesus in a corner. They think they've totally got him fixed. They're going to ask the tax question. If you ask a common Jew, what do you think about the taxes to Rome? Now, they may not say it out loud, but they would say, we hate every part of it. We hate every part of it. Now, the one in the Coralel passages, what it talks about is the poll tax. That's the one that's in question right here. That would be that if you're living, you have to pay a tax for you every single year, whether you're accomplishing anything or not, just being alive. It's called a poll tax. And it's one denarius. That was what this question was about. Do you think it's right to pay taxes to Rome? Because aren't we gods? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things I could add to it. But you know what? There is an undertone here of this whole thing that the normal, average Jewish citizen would have felt it was very, very wrong to pay any taxes to the Romans. 
We're gods. We're not the Romans. So now think of that for a moment. What could be a way to turn the population? Because they've, they've got two major problems. I'm talking about they, the Sanhedrin, or the religious leaders, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and all the other C's, right? They've got to get the populace to turn. Because right now they're afraid of them. They, they, they really are. It says it. The word says that. So what's the quickest way to do that? Well, they're seeing him. Let's step back into the people's sandals for a moment. They're seeing Jesus as one purpose and one. That the heart thing that, you know, he can ramble and do what he wants to do. As long as he feeds us once in a while, as long as he literally takes out the Romans. That's his job. That's what messiahs do. That's what the messiah is to do. So now think of this. If the religious leaders could get Jesus's, get him arrested for anything. All of a sudden, the popularity from the normal Jewish citizen not only erodes, turns against him because he's not seen as a Messiah that's being taken captive from a government of which he's supposedly annihilate. Do you see it? That's why on Wednesday is what I call Climax Day. Things change here. What happened on Monday is no more long. It's obviously not relevant on Friday because that's a crucify him, crucify him. From crown him to crucify him. What Wednesday is that day? This question, these types of questions change the whole format, the whole sense of how people see Jesus. Now, you know, and this is probably going on the little, you know how people are, walking down the street, talking, chit-chatting, and they're probably not on their cell phones, right? So they have more time to talk, right? Did you see the fingers that they just texting? <laughs> I think it is funny. This is a little bit of a side. You got two people sitting at a table in a restaurant. They're not talking. They're texting. I don't know if it's to each other. I wouldn't know. But they're texting this up. Well, why be there, right? Well, we shouldn't have been. We should have been somewhere else, right? This is what's, we've, we've got nuts. We've lost our minds. But these guys were probably talking. They were talking like this. You, you know, I'm a little confused. I'm confused. We crowned him on Monday. Tuesday, I thought he'd at least get some, like, some headlines like, you know, we're going to take on the Romans. Watch out, Pilate. Stuff like that, right? What does he do? He goes into the temple. And he makes all those guys mad at him. And he says stuff about them. In fact, they're kind of creepy, aren't they? They seem kind of corrupt when he kind of lays that, pulls that truth out. Isn't it amazing? Truth always, always wins. It takes some time, but it always clears the air, doesn't it? But that's what's going on. They're just like, they can't figure them out. They just can't figure out. Why is he not taking an aggressive action now against the Romans? What's he waiting for? And here come these two groups. One is, I've already told you, they want to get... They want to get the popularity to turn. They want it to turn against him. And the second area is to get him killed. They want him gone. Now, again, they can't just go to the Romans and say, this guy's dangerous. He's saying a lot of weird stuff in our religious circles. Uh, You're in the wrong room. You need to take your stuff somewhere else. We don't care about your religion. We don't care about you. We don't care about anything that you're talking about. Just leave, please. We're interested in Roman government. We're interested in taking care of our people. And by the way, If you were a Roman citizen, one thing that you really did have to say is you were at peace. There wasn't a lot of conquering nations coming in and taking your stuff. They were in charge, (laughs) very much so in charge. But as far as religion, they could care less. So how do you get the Romans, because they've taken all the authority away to kill another citizen? What are you going to do? Well, raise the insurrection card. (whistles) This guy is trying to take down the government. Had he? 
Any indication? Now, there was a lot of Jews that wanted him to. So how could we do this? Hmm. Huddle time. If we could actually get him to say something against the government, the Herodians would be right there because that's what they do. They report to the government about people that aren't following the right way to be a good Roman. That's why they're there. So let's ask them the tax question. What could be better? And even ask, ask an American about taxes. I love to pay taxes. That person is in an institution, probably. <laughs> There's something about that. Uh, There's something that's been crossing my mind as even I was here this morning, it just kept banging on me. You know, a lot of times when we're so worried about taxes, when it becomes something that almost a sense of, I'm going to say, uh, what's the right word? A fixation. Uh, that'll work. I'm, I'm wondering, this is just it's a personal question. I'm wondering if we're so fixed on the tax part of it, giving that money away, do we love our money more than we love God? That sounds like it's almost like a Jesus response. That's what keeps coming back to me. I'm thinking, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's keep going. Here's the question. So, Jesus, oh, I forgot about the flattery. Isn't this fantastic? Let's look at this. It's just like gag me, right? Look at this stuff. Mark chapter 12, verse... 13, let's go. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees, the Herodians, to catch him in his words. They're looking to trap him. They're looking to take advantage of everything that he's saying. When they were come, watch this. This is just, this is sickening. They say unto him, Master. You go to one of the other passages, it says, Teacher. Now, a Pharisee, if you were a Pharisee, if you were one of the brothers, I mean, brothers, right? The best thing you could say to one of your brother Pharisees, Oh, teacher. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> Oh, the accolades are just dripping off. It's fantastic. Because there was nothing probably greater than to ask one of the Pharisees a question about the law. That was the height. That was the height of accomplishments. So they start there. Oh, do you really feel that way? Of course they don't. This is about flattery. This is about rising Jesus to get the right answer. And you've seen that. Flattery is it's very, very, it's depicted in the Proverbs as being despicable. Tell us. Verse 4, um, wait a minute, where was I at? Now I lost my, oh, I'm in first. Don't, don't do what I just did. I went to chapter 13, so let me come back. When they were coming, they said unto him, Master, we know that thou art true. Again, they don't, they can't stand him. True, and carest for no man. Now that's not like having no compassion. That means you are not following anyone else's opinion. You are, and that's who I want for leaders. I want leaders that don't have, I remember this, this was when Bill Clinton was in office. And nothing more than that, but I just remember him being there. I could say other things, but I'm not going to. Okay? But something that he did, which I thought was actually very, very, to me, is a lack of leadership. And it's not about this man. It's just during this time frame, how long we've been on this phase and before. He took a poll to see what most people wanted on that particular issue. That's not leadership. That is not leadership. I'm sick and tired of polls. I don't even care if our current leader was 98% approval rating doesn't matter to me. How does God see it? That's what's important. So these guys are raising this level, raising Jesus, kind of flattering him to the point he has to almost tell the truth now. In, in fact, it's almost like they're, they're, they're going to the ego that they have, that pride that says, oh, well, thank you very much. I really do deserve that. Right? It's, it's almost like, you know, you tell the truth all the time. You're not swayed by opinions. You just run the straight line. You are unbelievable. Mr. Teacher. 
wow. You know, they're almost turning green because you know how hard it is for them to say that? They don't believe any of it. That's why he called. Did you see that? This is true hypocrisy. They are saying things they do not mean. Now, on the other side of things, there's people today walking this planet that say they're Christians, that their lives are totally on the opposites. That's a picture of a hypocrite. Now, there are those that are outside the church to say the church is full of hypocrites. No, the world is full of hypocrites. You can go to a rodeo and you can see people that put on a hat and boots for that day and it look like they're really the cowboy, right? And they don't know nothing about it. But they don't call those hypocrites. They go to those events on a Sunday. Boy, I'm getting out of bounds now, aren't I? Whoa, reel it in, Larry, right? <laughs> hypocrite is not just a church problem, people. It's a people problem. I could go on, but I'm out in the weeds. Let's keep, pull me back in. Pull me back in. Okay. So they're raising the bar, actually, for Jesus to make sure that he does, in fact, follow through on what they're absolutely convinced the answer is that he'll say. They already know what he's going to say because they're setting him up, and they're going to, he's going to have to say, no, you should not pay taxes to the Romans. But they're doing it to make sure that he's not going to falter Look at that, the accolades, the fallacies from their... By the way, this, is this true? Is everything they've said is true? 100%. 100%. In fact, I was in an airport. I was flying. I, I went to a, to a cattle sale. And there, you know how you, there's phone discussions all over the airport. And I was sitting two chairs away. This particular young lady was loud. <laughs> and it was okay because, you, know, I, I, you know, whatever. I can phase stuff out. But there was something that I heard her say numerous times, which actually was kind of interesting. You know, you can say 100%. No, no, she said absolutely a million percent, which means that's a, that's a gung-ho, right? So this was a million percent that Jesus is going to say no. That's what they've got him at because he couldn't possibly say yes. Why couldn't he say yes? Because the people would turn on him in an instant. Because how could the Messiah possibly think it would be right to pay taxes to the Romans who are invading us. That makes no sense whatsoever. In fact, let's go to what, there's a situation in Acts we find the name of that happened in 6 AD. About when Jesus was kind of coming on board, so to speak, just, you know, a youngster. But there was someone by the name of Judas in Acts chapter 5. Let's find that. Now, this is something we'll come back to even later as we, as we uh, finish our session today. But I want to go to just this, verse 37 of Acts chapter 5. There's a man by the name of Gamaliel. In fact, maybe we'll go back and pick him up. I'm not going to go into the reason that he's speaking because we'll leave that for later. So just bear with me. We're jumping into this session, verse 34, Acts chapter 5, and let's start reading this. Then stood up there one in the council. Again, this would be the Sanhedrin. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people. In fact, Paul would have been a student of his. This was like a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was like brilliant. Lots of reputation. Commanded to put the apostles forth, a little space, verse 35, and said unto them, You men of Israel, take heed to yourselves at what you intend to do to these, touching these men. For before these days rose up Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. Watch verse 37. After this rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing. 
and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. Well, Josephus wrote about this guy, this Judas of Galilee. In about 6 AD, he literally did rise up because they were ticked off about the very same tax as poll tax. Why would we want to pay a tax to be property of the Romans? And he had a great following, actually, and ultimately lost his life and all of his followers. That's very, literally the same. Now, this is in history. This is, this is about, you know, I'm going to just say 25, 30 years ago. Why wouldn't this work right now for the Herodians and the Pharisees to get Jesus to snatch into this, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to the Romans. And then Herodians, oh, write that down. Round, where do you think they would go? Pontius Pilate, because he's in town. It wouldn't take 30 minutes, and this dude called Jesus would be in a prison, and they would be able to just snatch him. And people would say, what a loser. He got arrested by the Romans. He couldn't wipe them people out. And they oh, yes, isn't it, isn't it a shame what's happened to Jesus? <laughs> right? It, it wouldn't be crazy. The drama's over. Do you see how brilliant this thing is? You're starting to say, you probably saw some other stuff. I'm a little bit over the top in the drama today, but I'm telling you what, this was set up beautifully, wasn't it? Picture perfect. It's like made to order. This is a prescription to get Jesus off the map. Wow, that was... (laughs) I don't know what that was about. Whoa, Peter, are you listening? Now, no one else on this, if you're listening to this on a tape and all of this laughter, there was actually a rooster that crowed right loud as could be. You may not have been able to hear it, but it took us for a surprise, shall we say. At any rate. Two more. Yeah, Peter, are you listening? Okay. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Oh, that was good. Yeah, there we go. That was good. Okay. No pun intended, of course. Um, Okay, now i got to get my thoughts back. Woo! Um, But... But if, if there's a prescription to get somebody in trouble, it would be a tax problem, wouldn't it? Well, there he goes. He's on it. He's on it. That rooster is on it. Okay. He's hearing us, and he's going to make a statement, right? Okay. Okay. I got, I got to reel it in now. This should not, this should not, it should not not work, should it? They've done their homework. This is actually really smart. I mean, you take a step back, and you say, ooh, ooh, Jesus, ooh, this does not look good. Because no matter what answer he takes, he's smoked. Because if he says yes, you should pay taxes. You know, taking the safe route out with the Herodians and the Pontius Pilots, the Romans of the situation, of that equation. If he goes on the other side of the equation, he said, well, as a matter of fact, (laughs) wait. (laughs) Woo, right? He's in trouble with whom? The people. The people. Because if he says that, now they're at least one step along. That's why this was a three-phase attack. The first was somehow for this question was going to open the, open the whole box, the Pandora's box of taking Jesus out. If he answers yes, the people's popularity starts to work away. Now we can follow up with that. If he says no, the Romans step in and snatch him, and this game is over. That's all he got. They doesn't even have to kill him. They just need to arrest him because then you lose the populace, plus he's out of control. He, or he's, off, he's off the mission. This is absolutely brilliant human reasoning. Aren't you glad that we don't follow human reasoning? Aren't you glad God's got a plan and we want to be on God's team and his side and his reasoning? There's a lot of things that are happening today that you just say, wow, how is that going to work out? I just know this much. God is in charge and I want to be on God's side. That's all that matters. Nothing else matters. You just look at this scenario on this week on 48 hours before he's crucified. How about day Friday when he's on the cross and you're a, you wouldn't even be a Christian. You're not a Christ follower. You're a disciple at that point. 
What would you say? Yeah, I, I think God's in charge right now. Yeah, that's what I would do. I would put Jesus the Messiah on the cross. That's what I would do if I was God. There's things happening in our nation today that I don't fully understand. I don't understand how we could have dropped to the level we have in the lack of truth and the lack of, I'm going to say, human decency. Yeah. It's bothering me. It really is. But I don't feel any less that God is not in charge. Because that day that Jesus literally, literally broke the back of sin was the day that it looked the bleakest for him. God is not thwarted by any of evil's plans in any way, shape, or form. Here's another day of that, right? But he's got, we got, we got. I, I can almost see them gloating. We have him now. He's history. And then, lo and behold, oh, I should talk about the coin for a moment. Jesus asked for a coin. He asked for a denarius, which to pay the poll tax, you paid one of those per year. And it was, I would just say, a normal worker's daily wage. You work one day, you got one denarius. That's, that was just a common kind of a th thing, right? Now, on the denarius, or the denarii, it was, there would have been pictures. Um, now, well, I'll, I'll keep moving. Uh, on the face would have been the emperor in place when the coin was minted. Probably Tiberius would have been, in this case, or very, very possibly Tiberius would have been on the front of this coin. Now, it's different from, and you say, well, what's different about ours? We have a George Washington, and we have, Link, you know, we have all of these other, yeah, but they didn't do it when they were in office. They didn't call themselves God, right? These guys <laughs> took it upon themselves to mint the coin while they were in office, when they said that they were a deity. Oh, that's different. Yeah, that is different, isn't it? That's what really ticked them off. In fact, this coin that would have had Tiberius, and I'm just using an example, these coins would have been in existence from 300 B.C. till 380. About 600 years, this coin would have been distributed in this area. All of them would have borne the emperor's image on the face that currently or made that coin during his reign. And on the back, there would be something else. In this case, if it was Tiberius, there would be uh, his mother, that would have been on the back. I don't know why, but she was. And then it would be Pontifus Maximus, which is actually the Pope declaring that to himself today. If you're, if you're in the Catholicism, that's the same name. It would have been on the back of this coin, okay? Basically, he's saying, I am a son of Augustus who is known as a god. Tiberius was a son of God. That's a little bold. Now, actually, if you were a Pharisee, when Jesus asked for a coin, it would have been something that they would have had in their billfold or in their, in their pocket. They usually probably didn't even have one because they saw that as a small idol. To them, that was an idol. That was another thing that just ticked them off. The whole coin system, the whole Roman thing, it was all about, ah, we're gods. But yet, but interesting, though, again, are they really God's property? I'm talking about the Pharisees. No, not at all. They're their property. They're worshiping self. That's what they're after. That's what they're up to. So when Jesus asked for a coin, I'm suspicious that they would have had to go, hey, you guys got one? I don't have one. You have one? Well, they're going to find one, I'll tell you what, because they want to trap him. This would be something that they would have paid the poll tax in their own denomination, their own equivalency, which would have been either a copper coin or a shekel. That would have been a Jewish or, or, or you know, that would have been more of their stuff. And they would pay that poll tax in their own coinage. They despise this denarius, the denarii. When he asked for one, I'm not sure it wouldn't have taken just a little bit. You guys got one? You got one? I don't have one. I would never touch this stuff. It's kind of like that. 
So finally someone has, because I'm guaranteeing you, they would, whatever it takes, get one, get one, go to the bank, I don't know, whatever. So they bring one to him, and he, what, what he, what's he going to do with it? What's, what does this have to do with the question? And he says, whose image is on this coin? Oh, Caesar's. You know, they were too quick to answer because this has got nothing to do with anything. And then it was like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> Have you ever had some of those, you know, we had all of the answers. You know, we, we try to do some of that in the business we're in, in the business that you're in or whatever. You try to think of the things that could go wrong. And you want to cover those, right? Now, you can't get them all. But there's every once in a while of those, I did not see that coming. <laughs> this would be one of those moments. As they would have said, he says this. He says, whose image is on this? Caesar's. Well, then I think you should give to Caesar what's his. Oh, I did not see that coming. So he didn't answer yes. He didn't say no. He actually laid it out perfectly. But what a lot of them missed, which they did, was the fact that, which is really important for us today. Both, both of the issues are, by the way. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. That's something we're missing. Every one of us is missing to a certain extent. I've asked my, that question, myself that question. What really does God, what should he really get from me? What do I owe God? That's a great question. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you've, you've answered it, everything. We were made in the image of God. In fact, I've, it just works out perfectly. In Matthew, the third time that they're coming in these waves, they actually get this out of him of what they're owed. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. It's a little bit out of sequence, but I think it'll work. Matthew chapter 22. And what we'll do is we'll read the passage of which we're talking about right now from Matthew's perspective, and then we'll fill it in. It'll take just a moment, but it'll be okay. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter 22 is where we find the passage we're working on in Mark. It says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel. You know, Matthew 22, verse 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. That word actually is one that is to capture, to snare. It, it's, it's used only one time in this place. It was like to just snatch Jesus. That's what they were trying to do. Okay, trap him. Verse 16, and they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodian. Now stop for a moment. I found that interesting. Matthew added a little bit of a detail we didn't see in Mark. In Mark we saw the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, if you were a prominent Pharisee, guess who would probably know who you are? It's kind of like the press secretary taking questions. You're new here. I've... No, they know who every one of those reporters is, don't they? You go to a place where the top dogs are confronting, they would... Jesus would have known every one of them. And what did we know about? They said, uh, Jesus, we know you're so truthful. We know you are a rabbi. We highly respect your opinion. Now, if... The, if the normal guys would have shown up with that, they would, Jesus would have said, what? Knock it off. But these are disciples of them. These were the people that he wouldn't have known, along with the Herodians, which that's sort of a new group to Jesus because he is very apolitical. If you, if you read the scriptures, the four gospels, and you come away with saying that Jesus was a political person, you missed it. Jesus didn't talk about politics because it isn't about that. He came to save men's lives. So this is actually not a, this is, this is really cool. They're, they're so smart, aren't they? Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. 
Uh, tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. Ooh, he saw right through it and said, Why tempt you me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. They brought unto him a penny. He saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these things, they marveled. I'll bet they did, and left him and went their way. You see, that's the one thing that's sad. I keep seeing this phrase. And you know what happens to people today? They hear the gospel. They hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hear the salvation. They hear the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And they're sinners and they're destined to hell. They went away. They left. See, every choice, every chance that you hear the word of God, you have a choice. One is to repent or one is to reject. Every single time these religious leaders reject Every single time. They're not interested in the truth. They left. So sad. Keep going. The same day came him the Sadducees. I wonder if I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to leave the Sadducees because that's next week's. Okay? Then go down to verse 34. When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. One more meeting. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, a scribe, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, in case you were wondering, sir, is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now that, my friends, is what we owe God. That is what we owe God. To love the Lord God with all thy heart, <clears throat> mind, and soul. When we're rendering unto Caesar what is his, and rendering unto God what is his, that commandment right there ties it up. Let's come back to the government aspect for a moment. Um, we, we live in a very different government than what the Romans would have been. The Romans were in charge. There was no voting. The Israelites didn't have... You know, let's have a meeting to see if we're being treated fairly. We'd like to get back to the civil authorities on that. They could care less, right? Pontius Pilate, in fact, he actually got himself, got himself in some trouble on some various occasions previously. That's probably why he was in town here, make sure things didn't get out of hand. But it wasn't to the fact that, boy, I wonder if, I wonder if the Jews are happy with me. He could, they don't care. right? Now, here in the United States, we have a representative government. Okay, So we can whine and bellyache and do a lot of other stuff, but we can also run for office. If God so moves you. I mean, you can, you, there's nothing against you going and running for a local office. Now, you can run for president. I mean, think about that for a moment. I have no idea about anybody would, but, and I say that carefully because somebody needs to, right? But, it, what, it, what, a, what a, but to know that you, you know, Paul Kramer could, could run for president. Any citizen in this United States. Yeah, we got some thumbs up going on here, right? Whoa, let's go. Let's go, Paul, right? I'll get, I'll get the bumper stickers. But let's think about that for a moment. See, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. We live in a nation that has, is afforded unbelievable opportunities. Okay? For us not to be involved is our own fault. I, I have to be honest here, and, I, and I'm just as guilty as anyone else. When we have been so busy working, so busy doing whatever we do to not be involved in civic activities. Now, I do. I want to, I want to put a line of demarcation. Uh, I can't find anywhere in here where our government is to be literally an institution of religion or, uh, I'm going to say, righteous activities. No, I don't find that at all. 
Uh, in fact, I'll go to Daniel and I'll show that to you. But the point of the matter is, is government is an institution by God to accomplish civil matters. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as we listened even this morning, the loss of a policeman's life. The disregard for law now is an all-time high. An all-time high. That is not God's way. Now, there's also corruption within government that is just as sinister. That, again, is a source. That's from sin. That's, that's not because of government. Or you can call it what you want. I'm calling it government because that's what I'm used to. Here's what the problem is. We have, a, we have a, a massive amount of people today that would trade God, capital G, our God, the one that we have in the Bible, the one that created the heavens and the earth, that God, they will trade him for government with a capital G. That's the problem. We've traded gods. That's when a nation is in trouble. And now, leadership in that type of a situation just makes it so big and so bold and so over-the-top inefficient that it will, it will fall. It will fail. Given this direction of what we're doing, I don't know where God is. If he's standing back, he's going to let it happen. We deserve it. We deserve it. But in the meantime, don't say that government is not worthy of its taxes. I can't find that. It's here. In fact, we'll go to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 6. Let's do that. Let's do that right now. It's just like marriage. Should we throw marriage away because it's failing? Is it in, please answer. Is marriage an institution of God? Resounding yes. Is the problem with marriage today God's problem? No. Government's much the same way. He set it in place to protect the people. I mean, it's kind of nice for us to get, you know, just go out in our car or pick up or whatever and to drive out on this road. There is a road there. And we drive wherever we want to go. Now, there's some roads that are in construction that I'm just like, come on, really? <laughs> but what if they weren't in, under construction? How many years till you couldn't pass it? How about when there wasn't a bridge across the, uh, the Jeff River? Well, you could walk across it today, but how about when it's high? Do you see what I'm saying? Those aren't free things. Those are in place for our good. It's a common grace, if you will. I mean, there's someone that has not trusted Jesus Christ that is crossing that bridge probably right now. There's one following that may be a believer in Jesus Christ that's crossed that bridge right now. That's a common grace. It's something that God has put in place to protect the citizens, even the Roman government. I'll be honest. You didn't have to worry about someone coming in with a spear and, and, and taking you out. It was rule and order. It was law and order. There was rule there. Let's, let's take a look at Paul's perspective on this. Uh, Romans chapter 13. And hopefully we'll balance this out as well, because some of you are wondering, probably. Romans chapter 13, let's look at verse 1. Uh, he's cleaning up Romans. Romans has been all about mankind's heart. Guess what? Guess what he didn't do? This is really, this is, this is cool. Just thought of it right now. What if Paul would have put Romans chapter 13 about governments in chapter 1? Ooh, that wouldn't have been in its right place. What did, what did, what did Paul want to talk about the first, I'm going to say the first 10 chapters? He talked about you and me and my heart and sin, just like Jesus did. But now he goes into Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Down to verse 6. You can read, it. You can read this chapter yourself this afternoon. Verse 6. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Okay? That's pretty clear. That is pretty clear. Now, there is an offset to that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let's go to, let's go to um, 
In fact, you're going to tell me where we're going to go. Who was the one that Israel fell down and were worshiping idols? They were doing a lot of things wrong. They could care less about God. I'm talking Old Testament, the Israelites. I mean, it was a mess. It was a total disaster. And God says, you know what? Quite honestly, you have not listened to my prophets. I've sent them and you've killed them. Or, you know, whatever you've done. You haven't listened to them, whatever. I've just had it. I'm up to here. I'm right up to here, and I'm going to have you guys kind of get whooped a little bit. I'm going to have you spanked, basically. Now, these are my words. These are not in that you won't find that this way. But, but the bottom line is, is it's time. It's time for some lessons. You're my people, and I owe it to you because I love you too much to let you keep going. That's God as a parent, right? And he tells some of those prophets who he's going to use, and they're like, what are you thinking about? In fact, what I'm thinking is Habakkuk. Habakkuk was just blown away when God told him, you know what, I'm going to use Babylon. Oh, I answered the question. I was going to ask you who it was. Well, who was it that God used? And you all said together, Babylon. Oh, isn't that nice? You guys are so good. The Chaldeans would be another way. But at any rate, he's using the most godless, most wicked people on the face of the earth to punish his own people. And, And the poor prophets are like, what are you thinking? God can use anything to accomplish his purposes. He's doing that today in America. There's people that are finding Jesus Christ today because things are so rotten and so tough and so miserably out of place that they see the light from the dark. They see the diamond in the background of the velvet. They see Jesus shining brighter today than they would if things were going well. In fact, that's one of, one of America's great. It was Israel's greatest problem. They faltered the most and they were blessed the most. It's the same with America. It is. It's, it, this, isn't, this isn't new information. But it's when things are tough... People start to look around and say, what is going on? What is this all about? That's exactly what happened to those Israelites. But there's a man that was the most powerful man in the world, number one. I mean, it wasn't even a question. You know, if Time Magazine would have had an article and they would have said, who is the most powerful man in the world? It wouldn't even been a debate. It wouldn't have been like a top ten. It was one. Totally, completely, without question, in charge all of the time. There's no question. His name was, an easy one, Nebuchadnezzar. I wouldn't name my child Nebuchadnezzar. I wouldn't even be able to spell it, let alone <laughs> Nebby. I'd call him Neb. I'd just go with Neb, right? But Neb was a, he was a powerful man, but again, it's amazing. In the normal human corrupt heart and mind, power makes monsters of us. And he was a monster. And then there was that, let's go to Daniel chapter 4. And it's a story that you know very well. But there's something he stated after he came to his senses. Because power that's uncontrolled is really, literally, power that's out of control. But it's one that can't even think rationally. uh, Whoop! I'm in Matthew. Don't go to Matthew. We're going to Daniel chapter 4. There we go. I'm getting closer. Daniel chapter 4. So I just want, I want to, I'll just paraphrase for a moment. But at any rate, he had this dream and then no one else could tell dreams like Daniel, right? He was the guy, right? He was the guy. And he brings him in and Daniel, oh, he saw it right away. May this not even be. May this never be, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. But essentially your day has come. In a very short time, you're going to be cut down. Things are, party's up. It's over. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar didn't phase him because the one day he's standing out there and he's viewing, oh, this is the great Babylon I have built with my power and my majesty and all that I am. And about that time, Kapushki, he becomes a cow. Sorry, a bull. There we go. 
I had to correct myself right there. You got to get that over with because that was not what happened, right? So, and for seven years, <laughs> that is kind of funny actually. And for seven years, he's just roaming around the bed. Where's Where's uh, Where's Grandpa Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, uh, he's out in the backyard. <laughs> Can I see? No, you cannot see him. He's got other uh, stuff he's doing, like grazing, right? <laughs> God. Yeah, he's outstanding in his field. That, that would be the way you'd have to say it, too, wouldn't it? Just think of that. What do you think the family thought about that? Here's the most powerful man in the world that has just become totally, completely, 100% humbled by God. Now, if you don't think that would be humbling to Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know what would have been. You're like a bovine? But he says something when he comes to his senses. This is what I want you to see. Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, actually, this, this will work. Daniel is speaking, this is what's going to happen, that they shall drive thee from men, verse 25, Daniel chapter 4, thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times or seven years shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. That speaks of God's sovereignty at the highest level imaginable. And that's exactly what happened, by the way. That is exactly what happened. Government is here because God has allowed it to be here. But there is a but. I took you back to that situation that they were trying to uh, get Jesus snagged into this whole taxation thing. And he, I mean, you talk about leaving it. It was like he put the burden back on them. And what are you going to give to God that you are owed, owing him? And they left. But let's think about that for a moment. Remember that whole tax thing? We went back to Acts chapter 5. Let's go back to Acts chapter 5. Because Gamaliel was talking about this man, Judas, that had happened about 25, 30 years previous. But that's not what this event was about. This event was about something very, very different. I'd like to read it. It'll take us a little bit of time. But uh, I, I want you to get the full context. This is when law or government, in this case local, oversteps its bounds, and at which you must take a stand. Acts chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 12. And by the hands, it'll be a little bit lengthy, but that's okay. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, there's no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. The believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. The church is growing leaps and bounds, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Whoa! There came also a multitude out of the cities round about in Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all that they were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles. That's not in a nice way either, by the way. And put them in the common prison. So wait a minute. Now they're in prison for what? What are they in prison for? Healing. For healing people. Hmm. That's bad. But isn't that, remember, in, it's, it's in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe unto them that say evil is good, and good is evil. See, we're in that day and age. So were those people. Okay? Let's keep going. Let's keep rolling. So now they're in prison. 
But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple. What would you do? What would you do? I think I'd go to the temple and preach. The angel of the Lord in the middle of the night opened the doors and said, Okay, guys, listen carefully. I want you to go to the temple. I want you to go to teach about Jesus. Boy, I don't know if I want to do that because I think there's going to be a penalty. They went right there. What would you do? If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to go do that, right? That's what I'm going to do. They did. Let's keep going. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. They're going to have a big meeting. They're going to tell these boys something. When the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and said, Ah, the prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no one within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the priest priest heard these things, they doubted of them, whereon this would grow, I'll bet. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Oh, horror of it. I can imagine how bad that would be. Then went the captain with the officers, brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. When they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? They wouldn't even say Jesus' name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. How are you going to handle that? Uh, how do you think they would go with the... You know, listen, sir, I want you to listen very carefully. This was really... You know, you put your hands on us and you put us in prison. And then in the middle of the night, here comes the angel of the Lord, opens the door, and he told us, go and teach in the temple. Do you think that would have flown? Oh, well then, go ahead. <laughs> Wouldn't have made a difference at all. But look what Peter said. This is very, very important. This is a verse that is really, really important. Verse 29, And then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay him. Not again. Did you see? Made another decision. They could have repented or rejected. They rejected. Now, let's put this in government's position. Now, these people were, they had government, they, they, they made a declaration. They said, you should follow us because we're in charge. They chose not to. Is that wrong? Let me put this. What if all of a sudden the President of the United States declares himself to be God? Congress makes a law that you have to worship the President of the United States. That's, a, that's, that's it's an over for me. Yeah. It's done. We're, we're not going there. We're not going to. It would be, hey, I got to obey God. God says to worship him and him alone. I'm to love the Lord God with all my heart, my mind, and my soul. Period. Period. That's the way it is. As soon as government oversteps the church's level of institution, we're done. I remember uh, it was, uh, what's his name in uh, California? No, uh, that would have, yeah, he, he would have been the other equation. The pastor of Grace Community Church, what's his name? Ah, John MacArthur. John MacArthur, okay. 
Now, John, is, he, I've, heard, I've heard several passages are working on Romans chapter 13. He's actually really straight-laced, okay? But it came to the point, which would probably come from a Newsom ruling, certainly within the city of Los Angeles, that said, you cannot meet because of COVID, okay? John says, no, we, we will meet because we're ordered to meet by our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see the difference? There's a point of which the government is demanding your worship by the fact you throw God away to worship us, or we're in charge. We're in charge, capital G. That's the line. When they come in this door and they say, you can't talk about Jesus, you can't take your Bible and talk about homosexuality, you can't talk about everything that's in the Bible, that's the day I said, well then, or we'll kill you. Well, have at it. Because I'm in God's hands. But until then, and they fix my roads, and they're doing things that governments do that are logical, not demanding worship, then it's my responsibility to pay taxes. That is exactly what Jesus said. You give to Caesar what's due him. You give to God what's due him. There's only one thing in one place that worship should go. That's to God. We have people worshiping governments today. We have people worshiping money. That's why they hate paying taxes. That's wrong. God and God alone is worthy of our worship. And they went away. <laughs> it says they marveled at his answer. That was amazing, wasn't it? I would, I mean, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm on Jesus' team. I'm like, Ooh, this looks rough. Now, again, let's say you don't know the end. And you see this all thing coming, and you're just in the crowd that day, and you, oh, taxes. Yeah, what's he going to say? Because I'll tell you what, I hate paying taxes to those Romans. If he, dare, if he says yes, I'll tell you what, he loses my vote. <laughs> wow, I was getting excited there. How did I do? I sold it, didn't I? Uh, and then the Herodians are saying, yes, oh, he's going to say no. And when he says no, oh, are we going to get him? We're going to go right down to Pontius Pilate, and we're going to go to Herod Antipas. We're going to have that loser locked up immediately. See, either side. It's a, and, you as a, and you that really have been a follower of Jesus, like John and Peter and those guys, what's he gonna get? how's he going to get out of this one? Who would have saw that coming? Uh, do you have a coin? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I want a denarius. I don't want a shekel. I want a denarius. That's the one you're speaking to because there's a Roman coin. Yeah, I'll take that one. Whose image is on here? Well, Caesar's. Well, then I just give to Caesar what's his. Oh, by the way, be sure and give God what's due him. Oh, it was a lesson even involved in something that he couldn't have possibly done anything that trip and stumble and fall down. He got him. I mean, just nailed them. Plus everyone else that was in that setting. What do I owe God? See, it, it worked on me this morning. I was like, you know, really, what do I? What, what am I not giving God that, I'm, that, he, that he's owed? And that, that, that level is never met, honestly. How robust is that question, right? <laughs> Whatever I am giving him, it's not enough. Right. He gave me Jesus. He gave me life. And I deserve death. Oh, to love the Lord my God with all, love the Lord thy God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And then to love my neighbor as myself. You know what? If America got a hold of those two things, this nation would be different. It would be on fire in a good way, wouldn't it? 
God's going to put this baby on fire, but it's going to be the bad way. But what you said is exactly right. We're going to burn. You know what? That's actually what happened to Rome, didn't it? It fell from within. The morality, it just fell completely apart. But to think, the choice is ours again as a nation. We can repent or we can reject. This na- I, just, I just think of that. I just read again this morning. Well, we've read it several times today. If America just even the church has got a hold of that. Let's just say what it, just the church has got a hold of those two commandments. All of this stuff would go away. That's why Jesus wasn't political. It's not about politics. It's about hearts. It's about men and women's individual soul heart. It's called a living sacrifice. That's exactly right. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's what God is asking for. That's what he's asking for. You want to see America change? That's how you do it. That's how you do it. God's in charge. There's no question about it. Praise God. I am a little confused. Some of the stuff going on. How he's going to use it, but he will. For we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. How brilliant, how focused his answer. It was so simple and yet so profound. In fact, profound beyond my even really being able to even fully comprehend it, let alone describe it. That's my Jesus. He's above me. He's beyond me. He's over me but he died for me. Oh, how rich, how splendid, how perfect, how wonderful. As we contemplate these hours, we've been engaged in this last week, Father, of Jesus' life. This day, as he's walking through the temple, that he's literally repossessed for you. It was becoming back to a house of prayer. He was teaching about the kingdom of God. He was teaching the word of God. People were listening. He was approached literally with some sense of violence and the sense of wickedness, malevolence, and yet he handled it perfectly, perfectly, put it back on them. Father, his unleashing of his power is amazing. May we, Father, relationally continue to grow, and as we contemplate that question, what do I owe God? What is yours that I'm not giving to you? Those are individual, personal questions that we must answer. And it's a growing, growing, yearning thing within us, wanting to give more and more of who we are. When we love nothing more than you, that's where you want us to be. Father, thank you for those that are here today. We know that each and every one of them have concerns, struggles, trials, things that they may feel that are totally unique to them the hurt, the pain, the sorrow that they may be bearing and wearing, Father. Be right there. Wrap your arms around them. Lessen its pain. Help them to trust you more. Even as that Gentile man said, he said, Oh, Lord, help my unbelief. Father, help us to believe with faith more and more, each passing moment of every day. Help us to learn from these truths that you've unfolded today. We thank you for being a great, awesome father fantastic, sovereign, omnipotent God. To you and you alone, we worship and praise and lift your name to high forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. As Paul said earlier,